is racial. Well, expand. All right, bet. Now, check it out. The white ball dominates everything, right? And I see shit out the yellow ball, the red ball, right? And the game's over when the white ball drives the black ball completely off the table. Now, why is that? I don't know, but I'm sure you tell me, my brother. <laughs> sure you're right. Look, it's because of the white man's fear of the sexual potency of black balls. Now, that one was kind of interesting. That was interesting. You see, what was... I see where you're going, and the pool table is the earth. That's why it's green. Oh, shit. See, your shit is coming out now. And the world, they used to think it was flat. School him. When you do the Oprah Winfrey show, I'm gonna be front row. It's not about jokes. Me and him are here. It's not about that one. That one was that one was kind of deep. You went to the bottom of the ocean on that. <laughs> yeah, but losers get the beer, so I'll get the beer. But see how our thing is here? Oh yes, we are see? the same way. Dead is. We're the same cat. Get him there. Okay, I get it. I'm gonna work right here. Yo, man, he's getting worse. We got to find him a woman quick. Have we not proven that it's systematic? <laughs> Have we not proven that it's already woven into the fabric of our society by people who wanted it to be woven in? Is it not already proven that specific agendas, laws have been put into place that, that disappoint uh, proportionately target people of darker skin because it still seems people are in like this myth this disbelief that any of this is true and it's all made up they'll even tell you that you know you know you calling yourself black is a social construct which I, I agree with and so black isn't real because black has nothing to go home to you know, if, if if you're a Native America, Native American, then you come from North America. If you're um, of Indian descent, then you come from India. If you're of this descent, then you come from here. If you're from this descent, you come from here. But if you raise your hand and say, I'm black, well, <laughs> where does that where does that come from? Where, where does being black come from? Black isn't really like a thing. Like it doesn't have a home. And so we've been duped into even calling ourselves black. Because what does that directly connect to? It, it connects to no country. But then I, I also heard someone say that your home isn't even Africa. <laughs> You was on Africa before they were calling it Africa. And so to even like get tied into, well, you know, you come from, you know, Africa, you come from this place. To get tied into that, it's like, no, nah, dude, you come from Earth. <laughs> we humans. And so they say that the first human was a black woman. You know, that that's what is speculation. And then, of course, from there, the black man. 
it's what they, you know, what they claim from science. You know, if you have religious beliefs and you believe something different. Okay, so, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, we're just humans, right? We just want to be treated as such. So what does it matter about black, white, green? We just want to be treated as people. We just want to be treated as people. But you're begging a system to do it for you when the very system that was put into place was the one that enslaved you. And in many people's accounts, it's still enslaving you. The system enslaves you to capitalism. And so our, all of our focus is on how to make money. Well, at least it should be, <laughs> you know? At least it should be about that, about us, you know, being profitable and then making profitable decisions in, in different parts of the country uh, and working together as a united front. I believe in the black dollar. I believe in black culture. I believe it all matters, but I do also see the point of, well, by calling yourself black, you have nothing to go home to. You know, you, you're not a, you're not from India. You're not from Australia. You're not from Africa. By calling yourself black, you're just black. At the very least, call yourself an American. It, it, uh, you know, it's just, does I mean, at this point, there's really no right or wrong answer anymore. Yes, descendants from Africa. Yes, descendants from royalty. Yes, uh, some may be descendants from slaves. They have slaves in Africa. You know, it's more of uh, indentured uh, servitude. That's what they say. I don't know how true or not true that is. But once you start putting it together... We have to start looking at at least how they see us so then we can understand the game that they are trying to put us in. Not saying that we have to agree with how they see us doesn't mean that they define us, but you do need to know what somebody is doing off in the corner and how they see you. Even if you see yourself as American, you, you, you see yourself as African, if they see you as black or a Negro or whatever they see you as, they're put, putting putting things into place to try to stop you. Don't believe me? Take a look. It was the official policy of the United States government until 1968. In my lifetime and the lifetime of 90 senators who serve today, the official policy of this government was to help white people buy homes and to deny that help to black people. And because the federal government had set the standard, private lenders enthusiastically followed in Washington's lead. Homes are the way that millions of working families build some economic security. They pay down a mortgage and own an asset that, over time, often appreciates. A home serves as security to fund other ventures, to start a small business, or to send a youngster to college. 
And if grandma and grandpa can hang on to the home and get it paid off, they can often pass along an asset that boosts the finances of the next generation and the one after that. And that's exactly what white people have done for generations, but not black people. Systematically, over many decades, government policies that encouraged mortgage companies to lend only to white borrowers cut the legs out from underneath minority families trying to build some family wealth. And the result has been exactly what you'd predict. It's contributed to a staggering gap of wealth between white communities and communities of color today. Here's one statistic from Massachusetts. According to the Boston Globe, the median net worth of white families living in Boston is $247,500. And the median net worth for a black family is $8. Why deny the help to black people? Why deny it? It was in the books up to 1968 is being reported here. So I'm a little confused of why do that. But then you look at old clips of back then. And I remember there was this clip where a quote unquote black family. (laughs) I don't know what terminology to use. Um, So for black equity. For our language, we'll call it black for now. So this black family, they, this is back in the 60s, I believe. They were moving to a all-white neighborhood, and the news reporters, (laughs) it was on the news. The news reporter um, pulls up at the white person's house and says, how do you feel about this? And she was just so disgusted. I mean, she did not know what to do with herself to know that she had, was living in the same neighborhood as a black person. And the, the, the anger, the anger in her soul. Man, I can't imagine. <laughs> what did... Wow, what did we do for these people to hate us so bad? See, I feel like the hatred for us isn't really hatred. It's what comes, it it is their way of trying to make sure that they're not controlled by us. And so because they are fearful of being controlled and being overpowered and them being enslaved. That that fear comes out as disgust whenever, at least back in, in this situation, whenever, you know, we come around. And so I wasn't living then. So I, I'm just looking at the tapes. I'm looking at the videos. And man, the, the lady's face... When she knew that her all-white neighborhood was going to be um, taken over by one black family, 
boy, was she hurt and disgusted and mad and was saying all kinds of evil things back in the 60s. And so that's where the culture was. That's where the culture was. So then it makes you wonder, did those people in those neighborhoods then run into government and say, well, we're not going to have this? Not in this country. (laughs) And then they put it on the books. The people decide the world in which we live. So that's why Angela Rye is saying in a previous episode, we got to play within the system. We got to play within the system (laughs) in order for the system, in order for us to know how dirty it really is, we have to be inside. And you, And I try to make sure that I'm bringing you inside every episode. When I was traveling around the country in the aftermath of the financial crisis, it became clear to me that the crash had made the problem worse. Subprime lenders who had peddled mortgages full of tricks and traps had specifically targeted minority borrowers. That meant that during the Great Recession, a huge number of minority borrowers lost their homes. And when rising home prices helped white Americans regain some financial security, communities of color with their lower homeownership rates and their higher foreclosure rates were often left behind. Again, just one example. According to Pew, between 2010 and 2013, the median wealth of white households grew by 2.4%, but the wealth of Hispanic households in that same time fell by 14.3%, and the wealth of African-American households fell by 33.7%. Mortgage discrimination didn't end in the 1960s when formal redlining policies were abolished. It didn't end with the tightening of mortgage rules following the financial crisis. Lending discrimination is still alive and well in America in 2018. According to a new report that just came out from the Center for Investigative Reporting and Reveal, in 2015 and 2016, nearly two-thirds of mortgage lenders denied loans for people of color at higher rates than for white people. This problem affects both big lenders and small lenders, and it's nationwide. Minority borrowers were more likely to be denied a mortgage than white borrowers, with the same income in 61 different cities across America. So what she focuses on here is Humda because that's what the bill is about. The bill is about HMDA. And that itself gives us before the before that deal, it gives us the right to look at this data. The Humda data allows it to be transparent of what they're doing. And now all of a sudden, who out there, who out there in America right now is trying to hide that data? 
So it won't be on the books no more. There's people in America today trying to hide that data. So the same lady from the 60s that was on that documentary that I watched, the same lady, the same type of thinking is still here today. Because someone is sitting trying to pass laws to hide the data so it won't be on the books anymore. So when we look back into 2019, we can't see what they were doing. We'll know it's there, but it won't be able to be proven because we won't have access to it because we're just going to get rid of the data. Let's just hide it from the books. Let's just hide it from the books. And we'll just pretend like in this world it's not happening. And we'll rewrite history and pretend like we're the good guys. And that we would have never done anything to you. All while we're still doing it. So those people are still here. So you got to be very diligent with who you're breaking bread with, who you're working with long term. This game of business is going to bring in some people. Just because people are making money doesn't mean they're ethical. Just because someone has a title or a position doesn't mean they're a good person. Black or white, no matter what your your background is. I'm not trusting you just because you're black. I'm not trusting you just because you're white. I'm not, you have to show me your character over time through the different seasons of life. And I know all the things I need to know when you start trying to hide data, hide information, the lie is in the overreaction, my friends. That lie is in the overreaction. How do we know that? Because of Humda data. That's how we can see how much black families were charged for a mortgage or how often Latino families were denied a chance to take out a mortgage. And we can compare those numbers with white borrowers who have the same incomes and same credit scores. But we can't do that if the data are missing. It is impossible to detect and fight mortgage discrimination without Humda data. The bill on the banking on the floor of the Senate says that 85% of banks will no longer be required to report Humda data, including the borrower's credit score and age, the loans points, fees and interest rate, and the property value. 85%. These data are essential to figuring out whether the borrower got a fair deal or not. If this bill passes, there will be entire communities where there won't be enough data to figure out whether borrowers are getting ripped off. Entire communities where it will be impossible to monitor 
whether people are getting cheated because of their race or gender. Entire communities where federal and state regulators won't be able to bring cases and independent groups like Reveal won't be able to hold these groups accountable. Sure, banks will save a little money by not having to fill out the Humda data, but when communities of color are once again left behind, there will be no way to prove it. And that's why civil rights groups around the country have spoken up against this bill. The Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights said, and I'm quoting, exempting the overwhelming majority of our nation's banks and credit unions from an expanded humda requirement that would better enable federal regulators, state attorneys general, fair housing advocates, and others to identify and address discriminatory and predatory mortgage practices is unwise. The Urban League and the National Community Reinvestment Coalition wrote in a newspaper column that the bill, quote, would be a giant step backwards for the public and national groups who use this data to ensure that banks treat all borrowers equally. And according to the NAACP, the bill, quote, would devastate our attempts to determine and potentially rectify racially discriminatory lending or loan approval patterns at play. This is about basic fairness. Humda data is an investment we should be making to make sure that all qualified Americans have the same chance to buy a home. Throughout our history, Washington has always fallen short of that goal. Gutting Humda allows our country and our government to ignore discrimination, letting history repeat itself. Communities of color will pay the price if this Congress makes the same mistakes again. It isn't too late. We can stop this bill from becoming law. Uh, this year, tragically, uh, a lot of people in the white community have found out about the life of African Americans in Ferguson and Baltimore, North Charleston, other places around yeah. the United States. Do you think that the, the awareness that has risen through these tragedies has changed anything, at least in our national dialogue? All right, white people who are watching, Google Jane Elliott. She has an experiment called the Blue and Brown Eye Experiment. I encourage you all just to simply watch that because it will actually grow you. Now back to stuff that will make you laugh. If white people are just now discovering that it's bad for black or working class people in America, they're a lot more blind than I thought. And they're a lot more choosing to be ignorant than I thought. The same problems that we're discussing today, we discussed in 1990, 1980, 1970, and 1960. And until we call a spade a spade and we say that this problem is coming from conditions that we're creating or allowing to happen, as a white group of people who hold a certain amount of power. Do you gonna... think that there's a systemic uh, attempt in the United States to uh, isolate poor uh, and minorities, uh, to put them in communities that can be controlled? It's not an attempt at all. It's successful. If you look at Daly and the highways in Chicago, he built the highways to segregate people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's it's no, no roundabout way to do it. Absolutely. So you know? again, speaking for all white people, what can we, uh, <laughs> what can we do to uh, bridge the gap between uh, the communities of color? Should you, you own barbershops? Should I white do. people start getting their hair cut at black barbershops? I hope because so. Because there are conversations I, I going so. on there. Yeah. No, there are conversations going on at those barbershops that we're not part of. And white people pay $50 for haircuts. So absolutely. <laughs> I would, 
I would like that. I would like that. <laughs> I, I speak at, at colleges often, and when I speak at black colleges mm -hmm. and I speak at white colleges, it's a slightly different message. The message that I preach to white kids um, that are in Tallahassee, that are in Atlanta, Georgia Tech, that are in places like New York, is get outside the college environment, find a child who is marginal or doing exceptional in school, who's a minority, who doesn't look like you, not of the same religion, not of the same background, Help that child matriculate into college. Help them by being a big brother or big sister. Help them by mentoring them. Don't give them gifts. Don't make yourself feel good. Like, hey, I gave them a new pair of sneakers. Teach them the path you were taught to help them become a successful human being. What you're going to get out of that experience is another human being that's taking full advantage of an educational system that can help them in their community. But more than that, it grows you as a human being to have empathy and apathy for someone who doesn't look like you is culturally not from your back. Okay. Speaking of culture.